Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Esther Steinberg started performing stand-up on the lunch tables of her high school in Tampa before attending NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. While living in Los Angeles before the pandemic, she produced and hosted a regular comedy show in the kibitz room of Canner's Deli, co-starred in the Oxygen reality series Funny Girls, and she got new faces at Just for Last Montreal in 2015. She has since appeared in episodes of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Adam Ruins Everything, and released a comedy album, Hebrew School Dropout. In 2021, she's out with her first stand-up special, Burning Bush, filmed outside the Rose Bowl during the pandemic, just weeks after she'd given birth to her first child. We talk all about that, how she managed to put together a new hour under quarantine, double standards for sexiness among comedians, and more. All roads lead to Rome, so let's get to it! So Esther Steinberg, uh, last things first, congratulations on the special, Burning Bush. It's great. Thank um, you. And the, and the baby and the, the extended honeymoon and all of that. <laughs> um, but last things first, I have to ask you, how is your perineum? Oh, everything's perfect because I went to get it. I ended up getting a C-section. So nothing happens uh, to your perineum. Your perineum is just like the most boring, same old, same old. Well, I'm glad that you uh, are one good and also figured out how to pronounce it. (laughs) Yeah, I was hoping that there would be like gynos emailing me being like, this is factually inaccurate. (laughs) Your perineum is inaccurate. Yes. So I feel like, um, you know, this might be a little too insidery, but the last time I saw you in person was kind of magical. Yes, it's not insidery. I was actually thinking about that, too. I was like, uh, what are the odds? What are the chances that there's, you know, the one time, the first time I ever go to Italy, we decide that to go to the Vatican and decide to do this most touristy. I mean, there must have been like 5,000 people just like slowly moving inch by inch down the hallway to get to you. <laughs> yeah, I was... Uh... I was on my own first trip to Italy and uh, decided to do the the most uh, touristy things in Rome. And so I also went on the tour of the Vatican. And because we were in this line of like thousands of people inching and inching and inching through the Vatican on the way to the Sistine Chapel, by the time I got to the Sistine Chapel, I was like, well, I'm not just going to get shuffled right on through here. I'm going to I'm going to stop and I'm going to sit. Yeah, gonna, me too. And, and I'm going to stare at the ceiling and you know, like really take it in. And so, yeah, I was sitting there kind of by the exit. And the one time I looked down from the ceiling, Esther Steinberg and her new husband, Noah Gordon-Swartz, <laughs> we are walking right toward me. At, like, um, you know, God and Moses and Noah, like all these like <laughs> biblical creatures of people. I mean, it was... It was really a wild moment to run into anyone. 
Yes. But specifically you. <laughs> and you're just like, hey, guys. And I, I like appreciate that it was you and not like, I don't know. I think that there's a there's many, many people in my life that are like cynical or would make like a dumb kind of feel. I don't know. You seem to be like just like in awe and like taking in the beauty. Just like we were just like, look, we're in the Sistine Chapel together. And it was just like <laughs> so fun. <laughs> Now you probably you probably didn't know you were pregnant at that time. I did on the way to Italy. I found out, so I spent the entire trip. Waiters were like, "And what kind of wine can we get you? What would you like? What wine would you like?" And I'm like, "Um, I am not drinking." And they're like, "A little, come on, drink." And I'm like, "I'm pregnant." And they were like, "Oh, so everyone in Italy." <laughs> Every waiter in Italy knew I was pregnant before my family. <laughs> they wouldn't take no for an answer. You're right. not allowed to be, you're not allowed to turn down wine in Italy, especially if you've made reservations at a nice restaurant and said it was your anniversary or your uh, honeymoon. Mm-hmm. It's illegal. But then when they find out you're pregnant, then it's probably a celebratory. They're just still like a little wine isn't going to hurt anyone. I'm like, I'm all good. Um, it's the cigarette smoke that's going to kill it. <laughs> um, it was just wine and cigarette smoke. And I hated being the sourpuss. Like I immediately launched into like old grumpy crotchety mom. Who's like, can you put your cigarette out, please? You're smoking in my nose. I can smell your cigarettes. Can you please, you know, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that American in Italy. Mm-hmm. I hated myself. I wanted to be smoking all kinds of things. <laughs> yes, as you mentioned in your in your in your first uh, in your first hour out now on Comedy Dynamics Burning Bush. Yeah, you do have a history of uh smoking and drinking things. I like to try everything, but yeah, I mean, I've been sober. I was sober for 10 months. It was great. You know what's 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 a, what's a little Jewish slut from Tampa supposed to do when she's all? I guess nice, so. Nice and. Um, it was you know it's just like it was a totally different time. All of a sudden, I'm like on mom mode, and it's just shifted ex- everything about me since. I'm like light years older. I went from I really felt like I went from like I'm in my twenties to like I'm ninety five. <laughs> So, so how did that change your thoughts professionally on, say, putting together and releasing this hour? Uh, well, the perspective is real different. I mean, the comedy used to be, I like to pull things from my life. So it was dating and whatnot, or just experiences, sex stuff, because like, that's where my brain was at. And now it's, it's like safety, health, baby medical stuff like never did I ever think I'd be talking about my time in the hospital you know like it's just so clinical uh, but it's hilarious because it's totally humiliating the whole process of like being a woman and stuff is just like you you really your your tits become milk tits and nurses are like squeezing them and touching them like there's nothing there's nothing cute or sexy anymore, but I think it's better for comedy. I'll take it. I think it's way better for comedy. Right. Well, that's why I asked because out of the 
out of the four specials that, that Comedy Dynamics did last summer at the Rose Bowl, outside the Rose Bowl in the parking lot, yours, <laughs> yours was the, the only one that was really in the moment because you were talking about things that had just happened. Yeah, I was I was excited to do that because I was explaining to a friend. I was like, I felt in some ways disadvantaged because I didn't have that like 200 shows to lead up to my special where I recorded it a couple times and had my whole family there. You know, like nothing like that happened. I was like masked up, hazmat suit, airplane, like everything was so sterilized about it. And they're like, okay, go. And it was like the first time I had taken off a mask and like stood on stage. Um yeah, but the advantage was that the jokes were so fresh, some of them, that I wasn't sick of telling them. Because I think that sometimes specials, you're, you're witnessing a comedian who has told, told the jokes so many times that there can be, I'm thinking of a couple right now, it's just like really funny people where you could tell that their jokes were stale because they were already so fucking sick of telling those jokes. And you're like, okay, I feel you hate your jokes. <laughs> right, whereas you were just like six weeks removed from giving birth, so. I was like, uh, this <laughs> thing happened. I hope you guys think it's funny. I thought it was like, there was a, I think I, I, think I felt like I was like giggling through the breast milk joke and kind of giggling through some of it because I had never talked about it with anyone. So I was kind of giddy about it. Right. Um, so how does that, how does that match up with say the first time I met you was when you had done that reality show, funny women, funny which- girls, but I like that you called it funny women. It should have been called funny women. Right. Some, but they called it funny girls. And in fact, I still have a, uh, I have a pint glass that oxygen gave me. Oh my God. You have drink till she's funny. Yes. And it's, oh, it's so insulting. It's like, I, I'm, I put that in my one woman show where I said, blah, blah, blah. I was on a reality show and they even had merch that said drink till she's funny. So you could tell how much they believed in us. The most backhanded merch, but I'm obsessed with it. Cause it's, you know what it is? Self-deprecating merch. <laughs> you find me someone who's got it's- self-deprecating merch. It's so, it's so crazy to look at that glass now. And, you know, not just because of the Me Too movement and because of the Trump era, but just because of, but because of Chris D'Elia. <laughs> because of Chris D'Elia and, and Congressman Matt Gates and all of the things, all of the things. We're going to try to be as topical as possible. Um, and whoever, whoever gets uh, arrested or indicted between uh, the recording of this. And the I was going to say, there's no way to be topical. It's old news. Well, between Except the taping- Woody Allen never gets old. Willie Allen's would will always be relevant, but his wives get younger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, but speaking of between the recording of this and the release of this, there's a new documentary out on FX and Hulu called Hysterical about women in comedy. It comes out on April second, and um, a lot of my friends are in it, and I yeah, can't wait to watch it. It's great, and it. What I what I think is so great about it is that it doesn't just by necess- necessarily it rehashes a little bit about what it's like to be a woman in comedy and some of the great women who have come before. But but what I really love about it is it talks about how awful us men are Good. to women in comedy. 
Yeah, I mean, oh. It actually name drops Chris D'Elia and Brian Callen and Jeff Ross at one point. Oh, so I did not know that everyone got a name drop. <laughs> there's some name dropping. There's comedians out there going, wait, how did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> wait, you, you got name dropped on Hysterical? Do you know how much crappy stuff I've done? And I haven't even gotten named. <laughs> exactly. Imagine, so we're talking like famous, famous comedians get labeled, let's just say, called out. Mm-hmm. But, the non-famous ones are not getting called out. So if you were going to give me a list of people who are famous that do comedy and a list that are not famous that do comedy, it'll be like 300 people on one list and 10,000 people on the other. And the tenth of the 10,000, they're the ones doing the sh- real shit stuff. Right. The, <laughs> the, the horrible men who are also mediocre comics. Yes. What a great combo. But maybe it's, like, not as easy or, like, yeah, you definitely have to have, like, power to make, like, sexual misconduct really easy. You're like, come to my hotel room. Okay. Um, Hmm. It's really easy when you're very powerful and you're, like, you have something to give someone. Well, I don't mean to go down this crazy dark hole, but I I do have a stance on why it upsets me. I'll just say it really quick. Okay. Why it upsets me that men in comedy do fucked up stuff to women in comedy, not just fucked up stuff to chicks. So like with what really upset me about Louis was that whatever it was that he did, it it wasn't like level 10 horrible, heinous, you know, violent things, Mm -hmm. but it also wasn't a zero. It was somewhere on the spectrum of like heinous things to do to women, but I just really didn't like that it was um, to other female comedians, people in the business, people that admired him, looked up to him, saw as like, oh, could he mentor me? Could this be an opportunity? Oh, he wants to chit chat with me. Oh my God, one of my favorite comedians wants to talk to me. Like, who doesn't think that Louis C.K. is like the funniest person alive? Who doesn't want to be in a hotel room and like talking about jokes and punch ups? Like, who doesn't want him to hire you to work on his show? Or, you know, like there's so much opportunity. This guy's so brilliant. Come here, Esther, come to my hotel room. And now he's doing something heinous or gross and inappropriate. So I just like, I, that never happened to me. But like, I could see, I could see myself, especially younger, be like, oh my God, he's my hero. He wants to talk to me. You know, if something gets weird, I'll leave. You know, I would tell myself that if something's kind of, and then he doesn't let you leave or whatever happens, it's like, do this. If you have a fetish where you like to do this, and clearly he does like, oh, I like to touch myself in front of women. Like, um, do it to someone who is an audience member, you know? <laughs> who also wants you to do that to them. Sure. Like, find someone who's super duper into it. There's, there's, I know there's people who would say yes and Right, right. I think Um, yeah. That's that's like the one thing that I sometimes have to spell out to like people. Well, it's 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 almost like the definition of adding insult to injury. Yeah, he's injuring. You're injuring the women, but then you're also insulting them because they're your peers in your industry. And then you speak up, and you get blacklisted. Like right, and then you you ruin their careers in addition to their emotional. Yeah, Psyche. I don't want. I would if if I had like a famous person in my memory that did something. I would I would be like, I'm just going to sit this one out. I don't want to be on the front page of the newspaper. I don't want people podcasting about me. I don't want it. 
I'd rather just like hang on to a secret, you know, that's hard. Right. Whereas it's so, it's so complicated. Whereas on funny women, you were shown looking up to Ari Shafir, which is, you know, everybody knows Ari. <laughs> I mean, he, he does get a weird amount of women because he's tall and, and like funny. Mm -hmm. So I was like kind of falling for him and liked him and like, thank God he wanted to treat me like shit because like, I definitely was like genuinely had a crush on him and thought he was funny and thought he was cool. But like, he also treated me like crap, nothing, nothing that I could, nothing. There was nothing like, crazy non-consensual going on he just like did it like like treat me like a queen you know he just treated me like dirt and I was like okay well they will hang out tomorrow like I was totally just clueless but into it and then I was like you know excited that he was willing to do the show and I was like come do my reality show and I, I don't know a lot of guys that would say yes <laughs> So when you were doing that show, though, enough about Ari. When you were doing that show, though, what was your game plan in terms of how your career was going to unfold after that? Did you have one? Well, yeah. I mean, the game plan was to do that show and for it to get picked up and for people to know me. You know, it seemed very clear that people who really put themselves out there in docu-series or reality shows get a following and they can do whatever they want with that following, whether it's selling skinny vodka drinks or a clothing line. My goal was to take a, my following and just do comedy. And I think that it gave me just enough of clout to tour. And I went to just for laughs. I got signed with APA using the funny girls credit. I started touring and headlining and that was such a sweet spot for me. And yeah, I miss those days where I was just like touring a lot. And as my show got further away, I got less and less um, headlining gigs because they were like, have you started a show? Like, who are you? You know, and fresh off Funny Girls, I was able to tour. And I thought we were going to do season two and three and four, but Oxygen Network turned into a crime network. <laughs> The crime was my career. Poor Esther. I know. But it was really great. The friends that I made. So Yamanika, um, Nicole, Khalees, Stephanie Sambari, they're like my very best friends. I didn't know them before the show. And now it's like my, some of my closest friends. One of them became my bridesmaid, Nicole. So the show gave me what I never had before, which was a girl group. So getting back to support, support. like mentor, that was important. Like Yamanika really mentored me. So for Burning Bush though, like you, how did this hour then come together? Because, you know, like, like, I know it's like, 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 like we we're like we were talking about earlier, like a lot of your jokes were fresh. So when you, when you put it to, how, like, how did you make that deal with comedy dynamics when yes. you didn't when you didn't necessarily have everything figured out. So I had done this two person one woman show with my gay best friend. And then as that was kind of like that was calming down, mm -hmm. I was seven months pregnant and I was so thirsty to record something because I had worked on all these pregnant jokes 
And I loved doing comedy pregnant because I felt like people's guards were down, like a big, huge belly comes on stage. And I felt bulletproof, like I'm ready to tell jokes. Um, Anyways, because people just laugh like it's just a weird thing to be pregnant doing comedy. And I really enjoyed it. So I had all these jokes, called my manager. We, we spoke to Comedy Dynamics. They did my first album, Hebrew School Dropout. It did really well, especially on Sirius XM. So I'm like, I would love them. And I was like, I'm ready to do another album because I've got all these pregnancy jokes and I want to call it crowning because I'm pregnant and I'm going to be recording this nine months pregnant. They're like, okay, let's do it. And then they kind of returned our call, our request, and many months later, and we're like, so we're actually going to offer you a special. And I was like, so I won't be doing the album. I am doing this. Like, what? All I cared about was like this album that I needed to do. And they're like, so it's going to be a special. And the way that they set it up is that they're going to do four of them. I'm like, that's so cool. They're like, we're doing it with Tribeca. I'm like, hell yes. And they're like, okay, we're doing it April 17th. And I'm like, that's a month before my due date. Amazing. Let's go. Right. Hopefully my water doesn't break. And so that was kind of going to be the opener of like, oh, my water doesn't break. Um, I'm ready to do it. Let's go. And then March 15th, like Broadway shuts down, everything shuts down. It's COVID. And I think like I took it really well. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not doing my, I mean, anything like comedy's done everything's done we're on lockdown and i just took it as a loss like the opportunity's gone it's all done and i just gave birth and then i think like right afterwards they were like we're gonna do it in la in a drive-in at the rose bowl and i'm like what (laughs) how am i supposed to get to la (laughs) it's a pandemic honey (laughs) how am I supposed to? And they're like, fly. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a kid. Leave them. <laughs> so I left my kid and I flew to LA and I got it done. Did you and I was so happy? Did you have any, any chance to practice in parking lots in New York then or no? No, I did zoom shows and I memorized it like it was a monologue and I had never done this before, but I pulled, I would say I pulled a gaffigan. Because I brought in a co-writer who worked not on the jokes. He didn't write my jokes. He helped me with my segues. Mm -hmm. So Noah came in, my husband, as this comedy coach who was like, how does one joke end and the next joke start? And he started helping me fill in the blanks, which helped me memorize it like it was a monologue, like it was a poem, like it was a story. And it was a story because like a lot of times in the past, you know, here's a fun joke. Here's a fun joke. But this was the story of like my marriage, my bachelorette party, my pregnancy. Like there was a beginning, middle and end of what was going on. Um, And I was really appreciative that I utilized the the resource that I had in front of me, which was an incredible, um, I'd say he's like a wordsmith, like a precision comic. And I'm like a character performance. (laughs) Like I do also like to take a joke and like beat it to death and like do things like that. Um, And he's the very opposite. So we worked together on the segues and anyways, I did five zoom shows. Hmm. Did you have to tell Noah, look, don't mazel me too much. I'm not, 
<laughs> I'm, oh, no. I'm, I'm Esther Steinberg Garden Sports. I'm not Midge Maisel. I'm... I mean, he... I'm 2021, not 1961. He, yes, he, <laughs> he, all he wanted to do was erase things he thought were important. Like, I'll tell a story mm-hmm. and I'll add this fun detail because it's just kind of fun. But it doesn't really help me get to the story. And he's like, get rid of that fun detail. It's just not worth the 30 or 40 seconds that you're adding on to this joke. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Way to be crazy. But in the end, I have to say, live performance, you can go on the weird tangents and the crowd, if, they're, if they love you, they love you and you're doing great. But when you're doing a special, I actually feel like cut out the fluff, like just get to the joke. I do feel that when you're recording something. But practicing, practicing the special for Zoom and then performing it in a parking lot where it's the, where the audience is honking <laughs> is completely different. How does how do you, how did that not throw you off without practicing that? I think I I really was like took it on as you know, I went to theater school and they um, put us through like hell. Like I went to NYU theater school where we were like memorizing Shakespeare and all that annoying shit. So I don't. I kind of took my theater school days and just was like this is a monologue now and i'm gonna do it like it's shakespeare i'm gonna memorize my own jokes like it's shakespeare and i'm gonna perform it whether there's five people there or 20 people whether it's a computer screen whether it's a car but comedy dynamics did something really brilliant i don't know if there's some kind of blurb about how many cameras and how many microphones were in that parking lot mm-hmm. I forget the number but it's on imbd um <laughs> imdb um anyways they put a bunch of mics inside of cars to get the laughter audio like oh okay 60 different cars had microphones inside of the car and they would label the car and say which microphone and um and then they projected the noise of like 20 different cars onto the stage so that I could hear people laughing. Oh, that's, that's great. It was wild. Afterwards, one of the audio guys was like, how was the uh, feedback? And I was like, whatever you did, like you're a genius. And I was like (laughs) high-fiving the sound guys, even though I wasn't allowed to touch anyone because it was COVID. And I was like, you're, you rock. Tell your team, tell everyone that I I like hands down am obsessed with how you figured it out. Like it took, I would say that the sound engineers had to use a quite a bit of creativity to, to pull it off. And I would, I, I mean, holy shit. I could hear, I felt like I was at a show because I could hear laughter. Yeah. It makes a, it makes a total difference from a park, from a regular parking lot show or from a zoom show to go back to something that approximates the before times. If they really, they did it so that I didn't even have a delay. Like I, I, I also feel like Zoom is practicing on an uphill mount, like climbing, right? What do they say? Walking up. <laughs> uphill in the snow both ways. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's harder even, people even though. People are not paying attention and people are muted and people are like. 
Well, I think one of the one of the aspects that gets a little bit overlooked is that as the comedian on Zoom, you're also not in your element because you're not standing up usually. Like you're probably sitting down, if not laying down. You're not on, so, you're not on a stage, so it's like you're out of your own element. I stood down. I stood. I stood down. I stood up for my Zoom shows that we were when, um, and that was actually Noah's suggestion. He was like, maybe when you practice your stand up, you should stand up. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm not going to stand up. I just had a baby. He's like, you really should practice standing up. Like, You're going to want to be standing in the special. <laughs> the only comic who sits down is Bill Cosby. And we all know how that turns out. <laughs> Check that. Eighth, eighth canceled comedian reference. Um, one, of the, one of the things you joke about in your hour... And it's, I don't know, as a guy, I don't know what to think of it. So I'm just going to ask you, um, you joke about how you, before the wedding and the pregnancy, you did a photo shoot for Penthouse. Yes. Oh my God. And I have so many conflicting feelings about this as a guy, as a, as a straight guy, um, especially as we reflect on the, the state of women in comedy. Because- I, okay. Because I don't, I don't know how to, I don't know how to receive it as a man. Like it's I, like, yeah, I get that. Because I know that I know that it's imp- like for a woman, it's well. You tell me because, like, how much of it? What's the balance between it being empowering for you and then also <sighs> just like feeding into the objectification that comes? Absolutely. And that's such a great question because it's so confusing. There's women out there being sexy and then there's women out there being like, don't rate me. And it's like, shut up. All of you, you're confusing me. I'm confused. So I don't know how to, I don't even know how to ask the question. First of all, you know, there's a, there is a want inside of me because I really can only talk about me. That's like, um, Part of me just feels like my body is like I've always liked acting and putting myself in things and doing comedy and using my voice, using my body, my facial expressions. Like I feel like a painter uses a, his tool is paint and a brush. And my tool is my body. And it's something that I was really proud of Uh because I was like working out and feeling really good. And my album was about to come out. It was my first album. And I felt sexy and I my friend like a very good friend Lindsay Burns who does all the photos for funny girls who went on to do all the photos for the kibitz room that I produced she's like one of my very best friends and she is very in the queer community very in the music community and she takes these dope pictures so she was doing this thing for penthouse which was an eye on the artist she was taking these like kind of grungy musicians and doing something really sexy but not in the normal like porn star way but more in like a grunge here's my floppy boobies (laughs) and i'm all about that I'm all about whatever anyone wants to do, but I was really all about the fact that she was doing things that celebrated the female body. They were nude, but they weren't porno and they were edgy and interesting. And so I wanted to work with her as, you know, she's someone I invited to my wedding. She's someone who's 
such a dear friend. So I felt like I was in really good hands. And then all the people who worked on Penthouse, women, 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 and they're all artists. One of them's like a former singer who's now works for Penthouse. So I just felt like I was in really good hands. And I think that's the difference. That's the difference. If it was this like kind of guy who was like, stand over there. Okay. Give me a pout. Okay. I'd literally like crawl into a hole and cry because I'd be like, I don't like you. And I don't like how you're making me feel. But it was my friend who's like cool and queer and interesting was like, look over here. Oh yeah. Show me the money. And I was like, hell yeah. And I was so just comfortable around her at the time. And now that I have a baby and I'm a little older, like I I don't want a nude picture. Like I don't like the way I look right now. I've got scars and stretch marks. Like I'm really not interested in taking off my clothes. No, thank you. But that's not, it's not even a a situation that comes up for men in comedy. Perhaps there's a moment where you get approached by like, you know, Stavros and Mateo are constantly doing nude photo shoots. I don't know if you're familiar with their Instagram. (laughs) I am not. I am not, but I'm immediately picturing both Stavros and Mateo. Well, oh my God. So they, they have made comedy out of nude photos. So like for Valentine's Day, they did like, you know, like a heart balloon over their package, but you see Mm -hmm. their full booties and it's actually hilarious because they it grabs your attention, but like Mateo is the work of art, you know, like he belongs in an art museum with his body. Right. You would see Mateo in the, in the Vatican tour. Absolutely. And they, his penis would be chipped off because they (laughs) broke off all of the tips of all the penises. And I told Noah that I want to create an artwork called the missing penises, where I pretend like I found the box of every single penis that was chipped off of the Vatican statues and make a collage of just the tips, like 3000 tips. Yeah. It's, I was just at the Met for the first time since the, before the pandemic. And yeah, my girlfriend and I were noted, were reminded once more about the Egyptians. It's the nose that's cut off and the Italians is the penis. There's something going on. Tells you something about the Italians. They were hung. Something going on there. I also think now that we're talking about like nude sculptures, like all artwork all stems from the nude body and the body itself and the female figure and the male figure. Like to say that men don't get the opportunities to pose nude, fine. Like uh, perhaps, but like ancient artwork was all these nude dudes so clearly it's just a cultural and societal thing that says that we can't celebrate the naked male body i mean i talk about the male body a lot Mm -hmm. in the special because i talk about magic mike um, but it seems like only gay men want to do the work to really present their body the way (laughs) the abs and stuff that's interesting because you're looking at at it differently than i'm you're looking at it as oh like men can't celebrate it whereas i'm looking at it more worried that like, is there something wrong that we are objectifying women in comedy, whereas we don't do that with the men. I, w- I wish that there was some male comics going to the gym every day. I think Kumail now is like jacked. Right. Now that he's and, in the Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. He's showing off a little bit. We're getting some like sexy Kumail images and you know what? There's probably a lot of women that are excited about it, but so Kumail does this, 
total body workout. I don't know what's going on in his life, but he posts a picture and, and is celebrated because mm-hmm. he's celebrating his body that he worked really hard for. And that's exactly, I worked really, really hard to get in a really good shape and I wanted photos. That's what it was. I wanted po- photos so that I could never look like that again. I'm like, <laughs> I'm never going to go on that diet. I'm never going to go to that Pilates class and I'm never going to not have had kids. I knew I was going to have kids. And so it was like freezing a moment, but also right. I used it as a way to be in a magazine and say this um, person has an album coming out. You documented and that was, posterior for, for posterity. Yeah. Is what you did. It was all kinds of, of reasons. I have no regrets. I mean, I love uh, sexy pics. I'm all about it. If you feel sexy and you take a sexy pic, like, Yes, feel good about your sexy self. Um, And then there's plenty of opportunities for looking like shit and feeling like shit. All right. So Esther, I will make you this promise. As soon as I get sexy, I will I will document it and share it with the world. Or or with your or with your jubu. Who knows? (laughs) With your new girlfriend, future wifey. Who cares? We'll celebrate it. it. We'll celebrate it. Point. We'll celebrate it. But not every woman needs to. I do want to say one thing I forgot to say earlier, and I just want to say it. Okay. So I do feel like the future is female, period. I feel like the future of comedy is female, period. Like I, we're going to make jokes about our period. Um, <laughs> I think that that shift is because comedy has always been about tr- the truth teller who's willing to tell the truth Who's going to get to the bottom of this? You know, that's it. That's like, to me, comedy is about telling the truth. And um, right now, I think that women have more to tell, more truth to tell, or at least willing to be honest, or at least people are like able to digest it from a woman a little bit easier. That's my opinion. I I think so. I think you're onto something. And I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the kibitz room. Because I, because I had forgotten to ask you about it. Um, is, you know, you, you had hosted a show uh, back when we hosted shows on the regular uh, in the Kibitz Room, which was the side lounge to the legendary Cantor's Deli yes. in Los Angeles. But you're now in New York. So when, when things open up, what's, what's going to happen? Like, what do you see happening so the for your, plan for, is, for you, your future in comedy. What's, yes, what's the, plan the plan is to move back to Los Angeles, period. Mm-hmm. That is the always been my plan. But because my husband works for Mrs. Maisel, because of the seller and many reasons New York is amazing, we were like, we got to be in New York. It's comedy. It's your job. But now um, I have a kid and I feel like New York, I personally think it's an impossible city to live in. Uh, so I'm getting my ass kicked by the city of New York plus by a baby. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I love LA a lot of, I've a lot of roots there. So we're going to move back to LA. And the question is, do I start the kibitz room again? Cause it was a weekly show and I got to work it out every Monday, you know, book people and do that. I think we did it for like seven and a half years with like a little bit of a break here and there, but mostly just seven and a half years straight. 
I would like to go back to the kibitz room, but I'm also wondering what that neighborhood looks like. I think I like to do things in the neighborhood that I'm in also Mm -hmm. kind of a way to give back to the community. We're talking about living in the Valley. Oh, we're talking about moving. We wanted to move to the East side, like Silver Lake, but it's just too expensive for what you get. Um, So we're now looking at the Valley, like studio city. And so they're, there's a chance that I would find a venue in Studio City or Sherman Oaks that feels homey and similar to the Kibitz Room and, and then start a weekly show there, perhaps. But I'm, I don't, I feel like Fairfax doesn't have the kind of clientele that maybe it used to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I have, it's like pandemic, but. Yeah, all we're, all, we're all figuring funds. this out together. Like, what is the future? But, um, the future I, is the valley. Then the future is female. <laughs> yes, it is. So I'm always just, right. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy you're 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 doing this podcast with me to to let us all know what's gonna happen in the future. Yeah, I do think now we do need a female like late night host. Who if you could bump one of the late night hosts off and just be like, We're done. Thank you mm-hmm. for your service, who would it be? Thank you for your service. I mean, I would bump, I would bump most of them, and I, I, I think, I think Amber Ruffin's show uh, should be on terrestrial television for everyone to see, and not just once a week on Peacock because she's great. I'm just, but there's room for more than one. There's room for Esther Steinberg's. Sure. Oh my goodness. Oh my god. A talk show. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm going to pitch it tomorrow. All right. I'm calling Brillstein tonight. (laughs) Get so, Barney on the phone. I've got an idea. Well, I better get. I better. I better stop this podcast so you can get on the phone. So, thank you so much, Esther. Thank you so much. I appreciate you watching and supporting. And I'll see you back in Rome. When in Rome. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.